Hello, mamas. We are Allison, Kelsey, and Melissa, and we would like to welcome you to the Unstressed Mama podcast, the podcast that will teach you how to manage the daily stress that comes from being a mom. Nothing is off limits here. From peeing your pants to balancing your budget to working out, we'll talk about it. Hey there, mamas. We are back uh, with our second episode in our fitness unstressed series. And today we have another one of our own on the podcast. So today we have Kelsey as our guest, even though she's also a host. And we're going to hear about some of the things that she has going on for this summer that you could join. So just a brief introduction on Kelsey. If you don't already know her, Kelsey is a wife, mom of three and physical therapist by day. She focuses her physical therapy work on working with kids, helping them move and be more functional at school. And in her spare time, she works with women, showing them that women and moms can be strong and move without pain, injury, or nagging problems like peeing or persistent pain. She enjoys working out, playing with her kids and participating in tactical competitions and is 100% a self-proclaimed nerd with all things musculoskeletal or neurological. Put a little tongue twister in the end there. <laughs> I was like, whoo, get that one out there. Uh, so take a, take a breath at the end of all of that. Welcome. Obviously, we're very excited to hear a little Thank bit you. more about what you do and what you've been doing, especially over the past several months and what you have coming up. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. Anytime I get the opportunity to talk just about physical therapy or fitness stuff, um, it'll probably have to rein me in because I can just like go on for hours. The, the self-proclaimed nerd part is 100% true. And if someone starts asking me a question about like, well, why is this work the way it does? Or why does my knee hurt when I do this? I'm like, oh, hold on, pull up a chair. How long do we have? Because I love talking about it. <laughs> so literally, I'm excited to be here down the steps today and my knees were hurting. And I was like, I bet Kelsey could tell me why <laughs> we don't have time for that today. So I'll, I'll talk to you later about why my knees are hurting walking down steps. But, um, it's really funny too. Cause I had like a friend text me or Marco Polo me. Cause that's what we do anyways. And she was like, my I woke up this morning, my neck hurts. Can you tell me what's wrong? And I like responded back and I'm like, no, I can't really tell you unless I like see you and ask you more questions. And then I ended up sending her like a 10 minute video of all the possible things that could be going wrong with her neck. It was really funny. I was like, yeah, that's, that's about right. <laughs> so yeah, happy to be here. All right. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your work with kids, uh, in your day job. Yeah, I have been working, um, school-based physical therapy. So a lot of people, when I tell them that I work in the schools as a physical therapist, they have no idea what that looks like or that that was even a thing to start with. Um, and then the other assumption is that I'm working with the sports teams and the athletes, and that is not the case. So I work for a small school district. We have eight schools and I work with kids that are in our special education program. So the kids that get to work with me at school on a weekly basis are any students that have gross motor, gen generally gross motor um, skill challenges. So they may have a delay of gross motor skills. Um, they may be behind still, or 
they are kids that have mobility challenges at school. So I have kids that utilize wheelchairs. I have kids that use walkers or gait trainers to get around. And then I have kids that do walk or ambulate independently, but maybe use some sort of um, higher level orthotic um, device to kind of support some of the joints in the legs. Usually these kids have a neurodevelopmental diagnosis. So usually they have um, Down syndrome or cerebral palsy. Um, I have quite a few kids that have just some really crazy things that you've never heard of as far as genetic conditions go. I have a few students that have autism. Um, we really kind of run a spectrum of different diagnoses that I get to work with at school. The, the common factor between all of these kids that I get to see at school is that they do qualify for educational support. So whatever their diagnosis or their delay, however it presents for them, it does require need for academic assistance to be able to participate at school. And that is kind of their qualifying um, thing to allow me to go look at them. So once they are qualifying for special education, we put them on what's called an IEP or an individualized education plan, which is basically saying what their school day is gonna look like and how they're gonna be able to participate academically and with peers at school. They have to qualify for that first. And then once they qualify for that, if the teachers and the team that works with the student sees that there is some um, mobility issue or something that is prohibiting them from participating as appropriately as possible for them, then I can come in and I can evaluate their skill set. I can evaluate their ability to access the school building or access um, PE, recess any of those kind of classes. And I can say, I can intervene by providing you services on a weekly basis to help work out um, your legs and get your legs stronger. Maybe you fatigue too quickly. So getting from one end of the school to the other end of the school is not happening at a functional speed, or maybe getting up the stairs is something you can do, but it's taking you a lot longer than it should. Um, maybe you can't go out and play at recess because you don't know how to get up the playground stairs. I can go in and kind of stand in the middle and give strategies, therapeutic intervention, exercises, all of those things to help those kids kind of bridge that gap. So I have two questions. Yeah. The first one, um, do you act kind of as like a consultant to the child, like as a representative for the child? in a way, not, not necessarily like paid by consultancy or whatever, but like, is that right, right. like if somebody's, you're not like, obviously I'm assuming looking at every child, but the, or every child with an IEP, but when somebody says, oh, we need to find a solution here, you come in and assess where changes need to be made. Yeah. So I, I can, um, intervene in a couple different ways. I, I have about 40 students on my current caseload that I see weekly. So these 40 students are spread across all of my schools. And I go and I, we've already established that there is a mobility challenge. There is a participation challenge and I can go in and I, I provide services to support whatever is causing them to struggle at school. So I have like kids that have just general weakness and so even sitting in a classroom chair tends to be a challenge for them if it's for a longer period of time. So we work on 
core strengthening, back strengthening, glute strength, um, endurance, activity tolerance, um, balance if they have like stair issues or playground negotiation issues. So that's that's one aspect of me actually going and providing direct intervention for these kids. Um, I do have some students who I have worked with in the past and they have progressed their skills to the point where they don't need me for full participation at school, but I maybe can still provide ideas to their classroom teachers of how to make um, PE more accessible or field trips more accessible or um, lunchroom. So like lunchroom accessibility is something that a lot of times we don't think about if we don't have these kind of challenges. But if you've got a kid that has mobility challenges, a lot of times there's also um, our upper body involvement. I do work with like upper body challenges, but it's not something that's normally like the forefront of everybody's mind because we also have school occupational therapists that kind of address that kind of stuff. That but was like actually you my like other question. Um, sounds very similar to what I know an OT, an occupational therapist to be. So yeah. if you don't mind, since you brought it up, kind of sharing like the differences of an OT and a PT, because I feel like mm -hmm. if I didn't have a best friend with a child with Down syndrome, I would have never known what yeah. an OT was. Um, yeah. So, so um, I'll finish this one and then I'll move on to that one. So things like carrying a tray while walking, if you have like overall weakness or poor balance, like now you're focusing on carrying something and not dropping it. And you also, now you can't see your feet. So are you going to trip over something? So I can go in and consult and say, you know what, this kid can carry their tray, but they need help to plan the steps. So they need to know that they're going to set it down before they try to sit down rather than trying to sit down and hold the tray. Because we're working with kids that sometimes they're full um, motor planning of like, do this, then this, then this, that system isn't always working appropriately either. And so we've got a physical limitation by having this weakness or um, whatever, maybe kind of interfering with the movement. And then we have some um, inability to plan um, movement the same way that you and I would plan movement. And so I can go in and I can consult with the teacher or with whatever staff is supporting the kid through that activity and say, this might be a better way to do it or a better way for that kid to participate. Our district has recently added adapted PE as, a, as something that we can do too. So we actually have, I used to go in and help PE teachers. Luckily, I now have somebody that I work with in the district who that is her job is to go into the PE class and say, you know what, you have a kid that does have Down syndrome and here's the things that are gonna be challenging for them and here's how you can make this activity more accessible and more successful for them and actually help them learn the skill rather than just have them trying to participate but not participating at an appropriate challenge level for them. So that's been really awesome to add that as something in our district because it helps take a load off for me and it actually supports the kids better because now you have a PE teacher that is very specifically trained to work with kids with disabilities. Um, you mentioned school OT. So most people know that school OT is a service that's provided because it is much more common. So our, our OTs carry a case load that's about double mine and we have two of them. And so they each see about 80 kids um, and I see 40. So um, OT or occupational therapy is designed to help you more with, and I know my, if we have any OTs, they're gonna be like, that's not all it is. But 
in a nutshell, it is designed for more like activities of daily living. So like as an adult going through OT, you're going to learn a lot of times we'll see it for like elderly people or people who have had strokes and are having trouble with like daily activities, getting dressed, making food, um, going to work occupation, like whatever your occupation is. So if you do go to work or if you're a stay at home parent, or in this case, uh, a child's occupation is play and school. That's what kids, that's what they spend their time doing. So at school, the occupational therapists, they help with fine motor skills that we, we roughly break it between gross motor and fine motor skills. And so I'm primarily focused and that's, that's a really rough generalization, but that's the best way for us to explain it to the teachers who don't understand what we do. I primarily focus on gross motor, big body movements, running, jumping, hopping, stairs, core strength, overall endurance, that kind of stuff is kind of where I stick with. I still can work on fine motor activities. I still address upper body strength because that's still a thing, but that is kind of how we or separate it. They focus more on fine motor, handwriting, hand strength, um, fasteners, button zipper snaps. Can, can you manage your clothing when you go to the bathroom? Can you get your pants done back up? Um, the other piece that they do a lot of is sensory regulation and sensory processing. And so if you've ever seen a kiddo with autism that is like a, has these sensory seeking behaviors, so maybe they're spinning around a lot or they're rocking back and forth or they're making vocalizations, a lot of times those, those provide sensory input to the body that feels good for those kids that have issues kind of regulating that system and keeping that system in check. And so they can kind of go in and intervene and see this kid can't sit still, like they physically cannot sit still. What are some things that we can do to help the kid? Can we have them sit on a swing for a few minutes and then go sit down? Or can we give them something to chew on and then they can work? Or can we give them a different fidget or something to help them focus and regulate that sensory system so they can sit and listen to the teacher or sit and do their schoolwork that they're asked to do? So that is a really broad generalization. And if you are an OT listening to this, don't get mad that I forgot something, but that's kind of in the schools. That's kind of how we separate it out. And they do see like I said, about double what I see just based off of the need, because it's a lot easier to see that fine motor things are affecting someone's ability to participate at school. Like they can't, maybe they can't write their name or they can't keep up with the writing in class or they can't use the bathroom independently. That stuff is much more obvious than the kid that's just taking a really long time to walk down the hall. Um, because sometimes we just assume that because they have they use a walker, they are going to walk a little bit slower down the hall. And that is true, but there's also things that we can do to help them walk faster or still stick with their class while they're walking down the hall. That makes sense. It does. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I, I feel like there's a lot of people who don't necessarily know the difference. And the other thing I'm sitting here, you know, two neurotypical children, not, and, it, and again, I have like references from very close friends. But does my, like, I don't even know, does my school provide these? I mean, I'm pretty sure they do. Um, yeah. But I think the key that you started at the beginning, just in case anyone's like thinking that same question, does, does this happen at my school? The part where you get the services is with the IEP. Um, mm -hmm. So, and again, I, I know that because of my best friend, but um, 
if it weren't for her, you would like be talking gibberish to me. Um, so I just know the fact that these, I think the fact that these are, these services are offered. And in my friend's case, like they're offered to her daughter in the school and as much as they can, they do everything in the classroom. I mean, she's in pre-K at the moment, but she's in the classroom uh, to promote that inclusion. So she doesn't have to come out of the classroom as you know, like 20, 30 years ago, if somebody needed special services, they left the classroom um, to yeah. get them, which just by nature excludes them because they're no longer in a classroom. So I know that's something that is new and I think it's good. And I think it takes amazing teachers out there to be able to work with the therapists and the children and, and you know, thinking about what these young I say young teachers of young children have to know more than just the curriculum of teaching a four, five, six, seven-year-old being able to recognize when they need to say, I think that we should have an evaluation is, yeah. I mean, I think teachers are amazing and as it is and well, I for sure okay. don't want their job. I, I, I see don't. what they do every day. It's so much work. They're amazing. Um, so when you were saying people, so people don't know this is a thing. I didn't know this was a thing until I went to PT school and they were like, we can place you in a school for an internship. And I was like, what? Like, what is this? Um, so school service, so it's, it's what's called a related service. So they qualify for the IEP and then I am related to their IEP. So I have, I'm a related service provider at school. Um, this is all provided under the IDEA legislation um, that is for individuals with disabilities to allow them um, free and appropriate public education. And the big buzzword that we try to promote is least restrictive environment. So like you're saying, if I have a student who their biggest challenge is actually more of a participation challenge, like they do have things, but it's maybe they can do the stairs when I come and take them one-on-one, -on -one, but when they go and they have to transition with a class, that's when the challenge is. I'm going to try to go and see them in that environment that they struggle in, right? So pulling them out one-on-one -on -one and we can develop the skill, which really is great. And we try, when we do pull kids, we try to not affect their daily schedule. So I have my personal um, approach is that I will not pull students from recess because kids need recess and we will get into that for sure. I will not pull them from recess and I will not pull them from their specialty classes. So PE, music, art, like those classes where they're having those really authentic, really engaging peer interactions with their classmates. I'm not gonna go take them from that to provide this service because then I'm doing them a disservice because some of these kids, a lot of these kids that I work with are not spending a lot of their academic time, especially as they get older. So like in kindergarten, kids with neurodevelopmental challenges, they can stay in their gen ed classes pretty well because kindergarten is pretty basic. We're learning kind of the baseline of, you know, letters and numbers and colors. And a lot of times it's really easy to adapt curriculum within that early age. Once we start getting to fourth and fifth grade and you're doing multiplication and division and you're writing paragraphs and you have students that are still working on adding and subtracting and writing one sentence that that educational gap gets wider and so then they do tend to get more academic support in a separate classroom but then they go with their peers to these classes like 
specials. So PE, or PE, art, music, um, and then recess. They do recess with their class. So I do not pull students personally if I can avoid it from their general education because that is their access to their peers. That's their access to their, their typical peers. And I think that is a really important interaction for those kids. So we try to pull in a way that is least restrictive, that is making them miss out on the least amount of you know, age appropriate fun things that kids go to school for. And that is one of the main focuses of how um, educational services and these, these therapeutic services are provided to kids at school. And now it gets tricky because a lot of the kids I work with receive PT, OT, uh, speech therapy. Some of them need extra vision support. Um, some of them work with the school psychologist for behavior stuff. Like there's so much stuff that goes into kind of scheduling all this kind of stuff, but it's all based around the kid and their individual needs, which I think is really awesome that we have the ability to tailor something because even within the realm of the same diagnosis, you said you have a friend that has a daughter with Down syndrome. If you have met multiple children with Down syndrome, they are not the same. They are very different and they, their needs are very, very different. And so it's really cool that we can say, you know what, I have at one school, I have three students that all have Down syndrome and I, that's all very, very different. There's similarities because they do have, they share a diagnosis and they share the same genetic abnormality, but they look very, very different and their needs are very different. And because of that IEP that's been put in place, we can tailor school to what fits best for them and what allows them to participate the most and be the most successful. And I think that's really, really awesome. I, I think that that's great as well the, to be able to tailor. And yes, the Down syndrome is very, very different. I mean, all, almost any of these um, neurodiverse diagnoses have very different limitations for the individual. Um, and it's all, and it's an individual plan for a reason. Um, yeah. Not like here's your diagnosis. So this is your plan. <laughs> Um, here's, here's, here's the manual that goes with it. No, no, no. <laughs> there, there is no manual for any of this part of right. <laughs> Um, so I want to touch on if you're okay, unless you have a question, Go ahead. I, I work at school mostly with these neurodiverse, um, kids, but a lot of what I've started to do, and I've done a little bit more research with, um, neurotypical children as well. I just don't get the opportunity to do it at school, but all of my kids are neurotypical and most of my, um, you know, my kids' friends are mostly neurotypical as well. And talking about movement and exercise and activity with those kids. And I think this is something that's really good to bring up right now because we're kind of, we're still coming off of COVID in the past two years with COVID. And what we're starting to see in our schools is that we're getting neurotypical kids that are showing motor delays. We are seeing kids that don't have a diagnosis that are showing delays in their fine and gross motor skills as a result of parents needing to work through the past two years with kids at home and kids not being able to get out and go play at the park because the parks were closed. And so if you, if you were somebody who lived in an apartment complex, during COVID and you had to be locked down because we all had to be locked down. So you couldn't go out, you're in a small space. None of the parks are open because things got shut down. What did you do with your kids while you had to work? 
And I did it too. Like we put our kids in front of Netflix so that we could get on our Zoom meetings and take care of our Zoom meetings, which is not any fault of anybody's. But now what we're starting to see is that these kids, because they didn't get out and play and they didn't get out and interact, they didn't color and write and all that kind of stuff. OTs are seeing a lot more kiddos with these like hand weaknesses or fine motor challenges. And I'm seeing a lot more kids that don't have great balance or who don't have this body coordination or this body awareness because they didn't get out and go play. And so now we're starting to see kids with no diagnoses at all, no neuro neurodiagnosis or developmental diagnosis show up with some mild motor delays. And, and that's something that our preschools are starting to get these kids that are quote unquote neurotypical, but are delayed. And we're not quite sure, you know, what's going on. So a very minor example of that. Uh, my son was three. He had just turned three with the, whenever the pandemic hit. And so he wasn't in school from three to three and a half, actually three, he went back in November. So he was like nine, three years and nine months old. Mm-hmm. And the way they had, they kind of restructured how they were doing their preschool at, for the three and fours and fives. Um, so he was in like a threes class instead of the combined. And when mm-hmm. I realized like he turns four, and he, he didn't know how to hold a pencil and he didn't know how to write his name. But like you said, I didn't have time to work with him those nine months that he was not in daycare because I wasn't like sitting around with my feet up eating bonbons. I was teaching mm-hmm. with kids running around behind. I mean, it was, we know what that was. Chaos. We love it. Totally. So like, I was like, okay, well he's four. And I knew he couldn't write his name. Like I asked him one day to write his name and he grabs the pencil, like, you know, fist grip on the pencil and his name's Elliot. So it's like, besides the, Oh, all straight lines. And he drew a bunch of straight lines and like no order with like the fist <laughs> hand on the pencil. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like my daughter could write her name at like two and a half. Mm-hmm. And I, every time I mentioned it, people are always like girls and boys. And I'm like, but like they went to the same school. I mean, not exactly the same teachers, but like, no. So anyway, he's been back now for three months and like still hadn't learned, but I was like, okay, it's fine. I was like, is he going to move over to the fours and fives group? And I'm like, well, no, he's in a preschool. And I'm like, well, they're not doing preschool things because the kid can't hold a pencil. Yeah. And so clearly the right person, one of the leads heard me. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, he can't hold, he doesn't have the slightest idea how to hold a pencil correct. And he can't write his name. He's four years old. In my mind, that is unacceptable. And mm-hmm. I get that there's a pandemic that happened, but like, they're also not practicing writing their name. Yeah. And anyway, my point of this is you need to be the advocate for your child. So especially if you're a parent of someone who was in a big, big developmental age span, probably like, I don't know what zero at this point, like zero to five, mm-hmm. probably um, yeah. today. And what month are we may of 22, right? Yeah. And you see something that's not right. You know, got some advice, some moms of gotta say something. a couple of weeks, like trust your gut and advocate for your child, um, that they need some sort of assistance and whatever that might be. I, I obviously is very dependent on the child, but, um, I actually ended up pulling him from that preschool and he's in our public pre-K and he yeah. can totally write his name. He spells other words. And I'm like, this would not just the way it was, it would not have stayed. He would not have well, been without that. When you, when you have neurotypical kids that start, start showing motor delays that we can bridge that gap and we can catch them up, but we have to know, we have to know that it's happening 
And the sooner we catch it, the sooner we can catch them up. So we're, we're, we're actually talking at work right now about trying to be really proactive about kind of the influx. So I'm going to like take a little quick detour and then I'll come right back. Kids that start showing motor delays early in life. So when I'm saying like early, I'm meaning like from birth to age three, we can, you can have motor delays start to show up anytime motor skills develop, right? Because as babies, we start, we start with rolling and then sitting and then crawling and then walking like, and if you're not meeting milestones and you start falling behind on milestones, even if you are neurotypical, we can intervene early and all states, part of this IDEA legislation have what's called early intervention. So if your kid is, um, from zero to three, you can go to your local early intervention services. And it kind of depends on how it's run from state to state because it is, it is a federal program that's state run. So it's kind of weird to figure it out, but you usually can check in with your school district and they can refer you to where you need to go or your doctors can tell you, you know, this is, this is your early intervention providers, get in contact with them and they can test your kid. And if they, if they are low enough on their skills, they can qualify for these services that actually are done in your home. And they are early childhood development, basically like here, you know what, your kid's not sitting. Here's some ways we can help you teach your kid how to sit or they're not crawling or they're not feeding themselves or they're not speaking. And you can have these therapists and these intervention providers come to your home and provide services. Now, when COVID happened, just like everything else, these services went virtual and virtual services are great. I'm not going to try to knock them at all because when it comes to seeing kids, some is better than none, right? Because if we totally didn't look at these kids at all for a whole year while things were shut down, then we would be in a much worse off setting. But early intervention services went virtual and depending on the state, some of them stayed virtual for quite a long time. And when you're working with kids from birth to three, there's some things you just can't see through a Zoom call. There are some things that you can't explain through a Zoom call. And to be honest, and when I give things to my parents to say, hey, why don't you try this at home with your kids? My expectations of follow through are very, very low. Because if you've talked to a parent who has any child with a neurodiagnosis, Down syndrome, autism, cerebral palsy, any of those things, you know, and especially if they have more than one kid, a lot of times therapeutic activities are not happening at home just because they also have to survive life with a young child and multiple other children. And if I have to yell at my neurotypical kid to put his shoes on six times before we leave the house, if you're dealing with a child that's not processing things or does not have the same motor planning, asking them to put their shoes on, is going to take a lot longer than it is to take my seven-year-old to put his shoes on. And like I said, I still have to have that conversation with him seven times. So if I say, you know what, I need you to let little Johnny put on his own pants in the morning because he's not learning how to put on his pants. Well, sometimes that's just not realistic. And so to know that that carryover is not always happening um, at home, like that's, that's why those intervention services, like from a provider, are really important, I think, to help out with that kind of stuff. So I was going somewhere else with that and I don't remember where I was going. So I hope that didn't just like end. But that is that is one of the reasons that I think those virtual services are one of the reasons we're starting to see more and more kids kind of fall behind as far as their gross motor skills, um, as far as their gross motor skills go, because they just they just didn't have opportunities. And I think, I think the other thing is when we think of with neurotypical kids, 
and and neuroatypical kids, I think we start to think like we've got to have these big plans to work on skills. We have to have these big things put together for them to do to learn XYZ. And the great thing is, is there's a couple of ways for us to provide that education or that support or those opportunities that don't require us to go way out of our way. One is just encouraging outside play. We're coming into the summer months and like just getting outside, turning off the Netflix. And like, I, and I'm saying this is one of like the worst offenders. And I know that I should do more to not do that. And we all do, right? Like all of us moms are like, we should watch Netflix less in our house, but also we need to survive life. But providing those outside opportunities to go play at the park, or if you have a backyard in your backyard, go to the swimming pool. If you're able to go to the swimming pool, go on a walk as a family and jump over the cracks on the sidewalk. You know, there's, there's small things you can do outside. I love outside. My kids have been spending 90% of our time at home outside lately because they're driving me nuts, but they also need it and they want to be outside and you get kids a ball and say, Hey, go find, go play. And they will find 10 different things that they can do with one ball. And that's really awesome. And that is really good for their motor skills. And it's also really good. Like kids need imagination. They need to be able to say, you know what? I have a ball and a stick. What can I do? If you have boys, it's going to turn into a sword hundred percent of the time. I, I cannot take responsibility for that, but it does. The boys are boys. That's one of the things you can do. Another thing that I really like, and if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see I post about it a lot. I have my kids with me when I work out, and I set an example of regular activity and regular movement with my kids. Sometimes they join in, sometimes they don't, but they, I don't make an effort to have my workouts totally not affect my kids as far as scheduling goes. I would like to, I would like to be able to get up at five and not have my kids come down to work out, but I get up at five and I usually have at least one child in the gym with me by the time I'm done. And, and I make them stay like my seven-year-old lately is like, can I watch TV? And I'm like, it's five 15 in the morning. No, you may not watch TV. You can go back to bed. You can read a book or you can sit in the gym with me. And that's one of the things that I've started to do is just have him here yesterday. He joined in the workout because it was movement that he was able to do. Um, and then the other thing is you can help them do an, a workout that's appropriate for them. Um, and most of the time they look like play. They're really fun. You can find, and I have, we're going to talk about it, but I have a bunch of activity ideas and exercise ideas that are really appropriate for kids. And a lot of times people are like, well, is activity, is exercise really appropriate for kids? Can I teach my kids how to do these things? Yes, 100% yes. You can totally teach your kids how to work out. You can totally teach your kids different skills. Kids are really smart. They're neurodevelopmental systems. They're, they are learning all the things all the time. And if we can teach them how to do a push-up, if we can teach them how to do a squat when they're five, that's a lot easier to teach a five-year-old than to teach a 15-year-old than to teach a 25-year-old. And so, yes, we can 100% you can teach them how to do these things. You can teach them how to strength train when they're younger as well in a safe and appropriate way. And you can teach kids that are neurotypical and neuroatypical. I use weights at school with my kids that have diagnoses. I have kettlebells. I have dumbbells. I have medicine balls. We do all of these things because they are beneficial for every single person. Strength training is beneficial for every single human being, in my opinion. And if you are not doing it as an adult, um, you're not showing your kids 
first of all, but second of all, you can hundred percent bring your kids into that and you can teach them how to do that and they can gain strength. They can gain this motor planning and they can gain this body awareness that a lot of times I am seeing kids nowadays just lack. Kids just don't know where their body is in space. They don't know how to move it. And if you say, Hey, make this change when you're doing, you know, an exercise or, or an activity or a game, some kids don't understand because they are so disconnected from how their body moves. Cause they just haven't had any instruction on how it moves, um, that they don't understand what you're asking them to do. And so a little bit of instruction really goes a long way, especially with younger kids. Uh, <clears throat> quick side story with your kids working out with you. And as mine got older, I've been more lenient on letting them be around me when I'm working out one. I've also realized I don't always have to get up at 5 a.m. If I can fit it in another time, like after work and they're around, then I'm happy to be like, you're here, do whatever. Uh, but one morning I was working out and my son came down and he found my 12 pound medicine ball and he's like, oh, ball. And then he can't pick it up. It's like, what is it? <laughs> so I just started my, and I've been working on, I've, I should rephrase that. I've been kind of doing my workouts in like a pseudo structured way. I kind of know like today's a barbell day, today's a kettlebell day and kind of let that be, what am I going to do today? Like show up down here and more mm -hmm. of like an intuitive, I just needed less rigidity. Anyway, I was like, oh, you can like throw the ball on the wall and catch it in a squat. And yeah. so then that got added to my training for the day. And now I do like barbell back squat, heavy weight. Those wall balls, <laughs> 12 they're horrible. I think I did three sets of 10 total, maybe a few more when I was showing him what it was. And then he got a different ball and used a lighter ball, like not a weighted ball. Mm -hmm. um, oh my gosh. The next day I was like, oh my gosh, a little kid, like beat me up in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> so it was fun. Um, uh, just as I've, you know, I used to be like no kids in the gym and Kelsey's the mm -hmm. complete opposite where now that they're older, I'm happy for them to be here. Part of it was just, I needed, I personally needed my space to myself. Not that I didn't want them around, yes. but now yeah, whatever they, they're not going anywhere. I realized they're always <laughs> going to be here. <laughs> they're so here. May as well let them get stronger in the process. I, I totally understand the wanting your own it's like workout time is for a lot of women and a lot of moms. It's like, this is my break to deal with me. And I don't want to deal with other people. And like, I will straight up tell you, there are some days that my kids drive me nuts in the gym. And I'm like, everybody out mom's mom needs 10 minutes, everybody out. And I will like close the door and there's child lock on the outside of the garage door. And so like the littlest one can't get in. And I'm like, everybody, everybody go. But what I have started to learn is that a, if that, if that is like, if I have to have the perfect, perfect conditions to do my workout, it's not going to happen 90% of the time. So what are some ways that I can make it still work for me and not, and, and I, and I work, I work full time. So if I'm always, if I'm working eight hours a day, and then I also need an hour because I, I take my time in the gym because I have it at my house. So I can, um, if I need that, that's nine hours a day where I, I feel like I need to spend a little bit of time with my kids, right? Because that's, I like my kids. I really do. My kids are pretty cool. They're kind of crazy, but I really do enjoy spending time with my kids too. And so sometimes, sometimes I want to work out by myself, but sometimes if I can figure out a way for them to be with me while I'm working out, that's fine. I have learned that being able to set the example of like healthy um, body relationships, healthy activity, um, 
I have seen that pay off. My oldest is seven. My youngest is three with all of them already in some small or big way. And so what I've done is I found equipment that I'm okay with them using. So light, like Jolie, my youngest has these like little one pound dumbbells and it's absolutely adorable because she'll get them and she'll do like, she'll do like overhead presses or she'll hold them at her shoulders and she'll do squats. I haven't taught her these things. I haven't taught her these movements, but she'll do them. We found out, my husband and I found out that apparently we we grunt a lot when we're working out because my kids will come into the garage and they're like, and I'm like, Oh, where are we learning that? Um, and so we're seeing these things that we do show up in our kids. And it's not something that we're like coming in and saying, you have to learn how to do a squat. It's they're seeing that mom and dad are doing squats and they're seeing that mom and dad are doing shoulder presses and pushups and stuff like that. And they're, our kids copy what we do. And so if we're always constantly like, negatively talking about ourselves and punishing ourselves with exercise, they're going to see that. But if we're also building a positive relationship with our bodies and building a positive relationship with exercise, they also see that. And so I would prefer them mimic the second one. I would prefer them see me using activity as a way to get myself stronger, strengthen myself, not punish myself and see that I do enjoy moving my body and I enjoy taking care of what I taking care of my body, getting stronger, working towards goals versus, you know, I, I ate too much. Now I have to go work it off. And so I really like the ability that I have in my home gym. And I realize that not everybody has the home gym setup that I do, but I have been able to kind of collect some exercise equipment that is age appropriate for my kids. And I have, I mean, yesterday I taught my seven-year-old how to do a clean and jerk with a bar. We have a little kid's bar and he did the whole set with me doing clean and jerks. And that was really fun for me. He's seven, obviously I'm not teaching that to my three-year-old. And I'm obviously I'm not teaching that to, you know, all the seven-year-olds that I know, but it's something that he wanted to learn and we were able to teach him the skill. And that was really cool for me. So I like having that ability to show them and teach them some of these exercise things that I really, really enjoy. And it has helped them, you know, playing at recess with their kids and doing the monkey bars and my boys do jujitsu. So they've been able to get stronger for jujitsu and we can kind of incorporate that into our family dynamic and our family schedule. So along those lines, can you tell us a little bit about your strong kid summer? Um, you know, Danny and I participated in that last year and it was really fun and you're doing it again this year coming yeah. up soon. Yeah. So last year, I do an, a, an adult summer challenge for all of my clients and it's like a nine week exercise challenge and we we're getting it kicked off last year and I had a couple of my clients say, Hey, could you do something like this for kids? Cause not everybody has their kids in summer camps. Not everybody wants to send their kids to all the sports things, but sometimes we want a little structure for our kids. And so I had a couple requests to put together a kids challenge and I, obviously put it off until like right when we needed to start because I couldn't figure out how to put it together. I knew what I wanted to do. I even had workouts in mind, but I couldn't figure out how I wanted to present it so that it was kid friendly and kid accessible. And then I fell back on my school um, therapy programming and I made these awesome folders that allowed the kids to either make up their own workouts um, with, within a structure or have pre-written workouts. And the goal for them was, I think we had five or six weeks, I can't remember. And they 
checked off 20 workouts in those weeks. I had a little like checklist coloring sheet. I don't even know if I have one in here with me now, but it was a kettlebell and it was divided into 20 sections and they could color off each section after they did a workout. And once they completed 20 workouts, they all earned a water bottle. And it was a really, I think it was a really cool water bottle. All the feedback I got was that it was a really cool water bottle. Um, it was like a metal one, had a straw lid so they could put stickers on it. I gave them stickers. Kids love stickers. It's great. <laughs> it was a really cool water bottle. It is um, a really cool water bottle. We were yeah. talking about it before we started recording today and Kelsey showed us because, you know, we're face to face in Zoom here, uh, these folders. And I could tell just in like five seconds that they're color coded and would be super easy for the kids to use. And well, my summer doesn't quite line up with yours because my kids go to school till 24 June. Um, I, I definitely think that we will jump in on this because yeah, I think it would be a lot of fun. So we're starting June 13th is the start day for the kids challenge. It's a week after my adult challenge starts. So for any of my clients that are doing that one, gives them a week to kind of get into their routines and then we can get the kids going. Um, the folders are, you're right, they're color-coded <laughs> and I love it. It makes me really happy. Um, on the build your own workouts, I have divided the workouts into like different categories. So we have like the whole body exercises. We have like the cardio, like the jumping jacks and the, the box jumps and stuff. And then we have one of the colors is for like leg mm -hmm. exercises. So squats and, and lunges so that, because and, and Allison, I know Danny did this. He found like his four exercises that he liked and he stuck with them the whole time, but I divided them up by color. So I couldn't have kids that were doing squats and then lunges and then bought, like they weren't doing all of one muscle group. So they have to kind of have a little bit of variety, even though I know Danny stuck with frog jumps all summer long last summer. Yes. <laughs> and, and Allison loved it. <laughs> unspeakable um, because right. his logo is a frog. So every day were frog jumps and I had to do the workout with him. Otherwise he wasn't interested. So I did a lot of frog jumps last year. Yes. Which is not my, not my first pick for an exercise to do every day. <laughs> you, you don't want to but do frog jumps all summer. Yeah. So yeah, so it's all color coded. And then what I do also is I do write up some short daily workout or like already pre-programmed workouts. So if they, cause not all the kids, most of the kids really enjoyed building their own, but every once in a while the kids or the parents wanted to just do one that was already written. Cause it was a little bit faster than letting your kid pick. So there was two options. And then for the families who did it last year, they already have a folder. So if I don't need to make a folder, what I'm going to send out is almost like an expansion pack. So there's going to be new, new workouts, maybe a few new exercises. And then for the families who didn't do it last year, they will obviously be able to purchase a folder um, and start from there. So I, I had a couple of families last year that had multiple children that participated in the challenge and some wanted a folder for each kid and some didn't. So there was an option and there will be an option again this year to only purchase one folder for the family and then have separate registrations for the kids. This year, I kind of pulled my group of parents who did it last year, and we decided that instead of working for a water bottle for a second year in a row, um, the kids are going to earn hoodies this year. Um, and so we're going to design a really awesome hoodie. I don't know, my kids always need hoodies because they're always growing out of things. And everybody seemed really excited about that. So we're going to put together a hoodie and all they have to do is complete. And it's obviously it's an uh, parents are the ones who are going to make sure they're reporting. I'm not 
on people about reporting. We actually did put together a parent group me group for anybody who had their kids. So the kids were able to check in via their parents in the group. And we saw a lot of pictures and it was really fun. Like I really enjoyed it. I loved the interaction and I loved seeing these parents and kids kind of participate in something together. Cause I have on the back, I have kind of like an outline. You gotta do the 20 workouts. Um, let your kid, this, this should be like a child directed thing. So let your kid pick the activities, let your kid get excited about it. Um, move with them. Don't just send them into the corner to do it all the time. Sometimes. Yeah. Like I've done it with my kid. I'm like, you know what? You're driving me nuts. Go do a workout. I'll be in there in a minute, get started. And then we'll go, but also take it as an opportunity to, you know, find out what movements your kid does like to do, or maybe what movements are hard for them and help them work on them. Um, but the most important part of this challenge was to have fun, put on some fun music, get kind of silly. There's things like frog jumps and bear crawls and, and bunny hops, stuff like that. Like have fun with it. It doesn't have to be so serious all the time. And you can do things like race your kid down the sidewalk and back as part of your workout. And you guys can be laughing and having a good time while still working on these movements, still working on a positive relationship with exercise, all of these things. Um, and that was, that's, that's ultimately like the design of this challenge is like to get people moving and to have a good time. And if you're not doing those two things, then, then you're missing the point because you really can have, you can have these skills developed in a really, really fun way with these kids. And that's, that's what I want this challenge to be. I think that sounds awesome. And obviously we'll put the link to the registration for that in the show notes. Um, so if you're listening to this, you can go click on that link and register yourself up or your children up rather, if they're interested or you want them to, um, also you mentioned your Instagram, uh, what is your Instagram handle? I'm going to put a link to that it in the show notes. Is doc Kelsey, D O C Kelsey dot D P T. Okay. And we'll put a link in there for that also. Awesome. And anywhere else that they can find you. That is the easiest place to find me is on Instagram. I have really cut back on most of my social media. <laughs> yeah, and I do have an email, but definitely Instagram is the easiest. And as a host, uh, her information is always at the bottom of all of our show notes anyway. So, um, you can get any episode, if you know, just keep, if you're binging these right now, um, <laughs> find her there. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for letting me talk about kids and exercise. I could do this all day long. So <laughs> thank you for doing the work that you do and sharing with everyone, the services that are available to children in schools. I think that's yeah, this, very knowledgeable. This was all new to me. I didn't talk much because I was doing a lot of listening. I had no well, idea that every school has a physical therapist and all these things available. So great info. We'll have to do another episode. I've got more to talk about with that someday down the road. For sure. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Have a wonderful day, ladies. Thanks, guys. The Unstressed Mama podcast is brought to you by Allison Rodden, Kelsey Decker, and Melissa Sroby. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash unstressed mama and on Instagram at unstressed mama. If you like what you heard, be sure to tell your friends so other mamas can join in the fun. You can find our individual contact information in the show notes for this episode. 
If you have questions about this topic or suggestions for future topics, the best place to reach us is through our Facebook group, Instagram page, or email at unstressedmama at gmail.com. Thank you.